So let's go through a little bit of what is in these bills, in these changes, among the topics on discussion today for Legally Speaking on CFAX 1070 with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Hey, Michael, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Well, it's good to be here. Just looking at the agenda for today, and I see you've also taken note of the various raft of legislation being considered at the legislature this week. Let's go through some of it. Sure. There's really uh, a whole lot going on, right? Uh, yeah. All these things, of course, the public is deemed to have knowledge of, right? So uh, good that we at least talk about it a little bit as you're uh, deemed to know about all these things. So <clears throat> you, you mentioned the bail, and I do want to come to that. Yeah. But that's not a legislative amendment. Okay. Um, the the bail, just out of interest, maybe I'll deal with that off the top. Sure. I think that's got a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. So there were a number of things that uh, David Eby announced with respect to sort of public safety measures. And I should say some of them, I think, were excellent ideas. Some of them we've talked about, I think, on the show before. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, he announced a plan to uh, provide uh, additional funding to have more secure mental health uh, treatment spaces available so that when somebody's brought in under the Mental Health Act, a doctor would know that there hopefully would be a place where they could uh, require somebody to stay if they conclude that they're a danger to themselves or others. So that, for example, I think was an excellent uh, announcement. Um, and there are some other announcements in terms of sort of coordination and information sharing, and all of those, I think, are, are very positive. And so I really do hope they uh, they get some traction. They're good ideas. Mm-hmm. The the bail changes, unfortunately, have uh, I, I don't think are, are likely to have uh, much success. And really what's happened is that there's this document called the Crown Council Policy Manual. Yeah, right? you, you've discussed so we'll it before, yeah. yeah. And the idea there is to provide... Uh, direction to Crown on a whole host of things, trying to get sort of consistent decision-making and principled decision-making on a whole variety of topics, right? Mm-hmm. And the public can go and look at it. If you just Google BC Crown Council Policy Manual, you can read their policies on a whole range of things. Uh, and w- what was done, and th- this part of the announcement, unlike some of the other very good ideas, uh, appeared to be just a, a complete exercise in politics by reformulating some of the language in the Crown Council policy manual to try to blunt the sting of suggestions that somehow uh, dangerous people are being released without uh, Crown considering whether that's a good idea or not. Hmm. Um, And so, uh, interestingly, they've removed from uh, the website the old Crown Council policy manual with respect to bail, but I've got that here, Hmm. and can contrast that with the new one. And so to give you an idea of the sort of things they did, uh, they removed from the uh, the new policy language, which was in the old one, which said, for example, as, quote, ministers of justice, Crown Council must exercise principal restraint in all bail matters. And that, that comes from a case called uh, Boucher, so a yeah. classic Supreme Court of Canada case, where Crown are supposed to act as small ministers of justice, trying to achieve a fair result, uh, not just trying to convict anyone they could, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, I guess they thought that language was not tough enough. And so they deleted it from the new policy manual. Hmm. Uh, and instead, to try to make the new one look tougher, they've included various admonitions suggesting that Crown Council should, for example, consider factors such as whether at the time of arrest the accused had one or more outstanding criminal charges uh, involving a weapon. Mm-hmm. No. When you look at that, you say, well, what could be wrong with that? Uh Nothing, of course. But it's to sort of suggest that uh, the uh, crown in the province, uh, who know what they're doing, were somehow not considering uh, whether somebody had an outstanding offense involving a weapon when determining whether it was appropriate to seek somebody's detention. And that, I can assure you, 
is not so, right? It, it's not. It's not as if the uh, opposition or uh, now the new premier has somehow uh, come up with uh, uh, some bright ideas uh, that uh, people who do that work day in and day out somehow hadn't recognized that, for example, you should consider whether a person has an outstanding charge uh, involving a weapon when deciding whether to seek their detention. And that's clearly not the case. They haven't come up with some bright idea. So unfortunately, on the bail front, unlike some of the other good ideas that were announced, what they've done is they really turned that document into a bit of a uh, political exercise, um, which uh, I, I don't know is going to have much practical uh, effect. One concern, frankly, I had when I looked at it is whether it might have the effect of uh, diminishing uh, the um the way in which a Crown submission about the need to detain somebody would be received by a judge. Hmm. Uh, because it's one thing if you have Crown standing up in the fashion of a small minister of justice saying, look, there are real principled reasons why this person needs to be detained to protect the public, and here they are, Your Honor, and this is why I, in my submission the person should be detained, right? Mm -hmm. If you are a judge and you had the impression that what's happening is some exercise in politics where some Crown was up there taking some position that was not consistent with being a small minister of justice, but instead in accordance with a sort of politicized directive that you shall seek detention in some circumstance. Think about how you might hear those same submissions from Crown. Uh, it might have the opposite effect of what was intended here, uh, because I can assure you there wasn't some failure in the Crown office to take appropriate principal positions to seek detention. Uh, and, uh, if the impression here is that really what's going on if the Crown seeks detention now is some exercise in politics, that is going to, I think, undermine perhaps the uh, import of Crown submissions in that regard. So this may not, in fact, be both as disappointing that they've politicized it, but it may have the opposite effect uh, if it, in fact, has some change uh, in terms of how Crown are conducting themselves, because, you know, judges are smart people. They're going to be aware of this, too. Uh, and if the impression is Crown is in there just following some political directive, that's not going to help uh, if you're wanting submissions of Crown to be taken seriously by the court. Um, and so this is, I think, a bit of a disappointing uh, product, along with some other things that were very good to hear about. Um, it's also interesting reading it to see the obvious tension uh, that the uh, premier is under between the interests of uh, First Nations yes. uh, dealing with the massive overrepresentation of Indigenous people, including detained on bail. Yes, And so you can see in the new document that reflected in various other admonitions further on after they try to look tough at the top uh, about uh, trying not to take positions that are going to result in even more uh, First Nations people being uh, in prison. Uh, because that figure goes up every single year. You look at a graph of it, despite various efforts that have been made, it goes up and up and up. Uh, and if these changes have some practical effect of increasing that, boy, will that be a disappointment. Uh, because, well, I acknowledge that the sort of the uh, catchphrase of catch and release has caught on. Yes. Right? And obviously, sorry about that, David by the way. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. I mean, that's a catchy phrase. It's kind of like the dumpster fire at ICBC. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It may or may not accurately reflect the nuances of what's going on. But I think as a result of that stinging, we got this document. Uh, and it's, I think, pretty disappointing that that might color some of the very good ideas that uh, were also announced. 
And I must say, if I were a Crown Council getting a reading this thing over, I'm not sure I'd be too happy because it sort of implies that uh, the Crown haven't been doing their job and somehow David Eby or the opposition in question period came up with bright ideas like, maybe you want to seek the detention of somebody who appears dangerous without standing weapons charges, <laughs> right? That just was not lost on anyone uh, doing that work. Um, and so I think this really needs to be read for what it is. Um, but uh, I don't want to diminish some of the other really positive things that were announced, like, for example, the funding for more spaces for people with serious mental health difficulties. Those were great, and hopefully those uh, do have the desired effect. Uh, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, I mm-hmm. should say, in terms of things that are going on. Yeah. Um, so there are also a whole number of uh, bills that were introduced, right? It's sort of a rapid succession. One of the first ones that I noticed there uh, was the it's Bill 44. Uh, it's the Building and Strata Statutes Amendment Act. Yeah. And this act, once passed, is going to have a number of uh, uh, significant impacts on strata, corporate stratas all across the province. One of them that's been, I think, reported on is that it's going to prohibit bylaws that restrict age other than restriction on age of being 55 plus or more, so like retirement uh, places. But there are stratas that have all kinds of provisions in them, strata bylaws that would say things like nobody under 18 or no children or whatever it might be. Those are all going to be gone. They will no longer be enforceable. Uh, So stratas that have tried to restrict uh, those things will no longer have authority to do it. Also, very broad language in here, it's going to eliminate the effectiveness of any strata bylaw that is restricting uh, rental of the strata lot. That includes uh, provisions that might uh, require screening of tenants or criteria for tenants uh, or indeed a requirement that terms be inserted into a tenancy agreement or anything that's restricting the rental of a strata lot. All of those bylaws are going to be no longer effective once this is passed. Um, uh, other interesting provisions. I, I've heard one of the complaints some stratas have had is going to is been uh, you know how are we going to get enough people to serve on the strata corporation if the whole building is rentals. Uh, one of the things that might help with that, perhaps this is what was intended, were provisions that make it easier for people to attend strata meetings um, remotely, electronically, dealing with some provisions surrounding things like uh, voting and how that might occur and so on. Uh, and so it may be that uh, those changes were intended to ameliorate some of the uh, unintended consequences of uh, permitting uh, all stratas to be available for rental and, and uh, removing the ability to limit children or other uh, younger people from living there. Uh, I should say there are other provisions in here that uh, remove strata corporations' ability to do things that might restrict not only guide dogs, but retired guide dogs or service dogs or retired service dogs from living in a strata corporation. Uh, you can imagine the uh, uh, how unsatisfactory it might be if somebody's uh, uh, had a service dog who was retired and had to then put the dog out somewhere else or leave the strata. That will no longer be permitted by strata corporations either. So essentially it restricts what strata corporations can do. I think with the objective of making uh, all strata units available for rental uh, and removing other things that might be put in place that would restrict that, like limits on children or younger people living in units. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the market responds to that. Um, but it, that'll also have an impact on the um, uh, that tax they imposed on uh, vacant units or like people's secondary uh, properties. Uh, and one of the responses I think people had to that to avoid paying the vacancy tax was, I'm not allowed to rent my unit. Look at the strata rules. 
that excuse will be gone because those bylaws will no longer be effective. Uh, and so if you have a, a second uh, property that, say, uh, Strata, uh, that uh, reason for not renting it will be eliminated. And so either you'll have to make it available for rent or you'll end up paying that extra tax. So that's Bill 44. All right, let's take our first break. We've got lots more coming up, legally speaking, on CFAX 1070 with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. We're back right after this. All right, back on the air here, legally speaking, with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Always enjoy hearing Michael's perspectives on these matters. We went through Bill 44, which was the Building and Strata Statutes Amendment Act, Michael. Up next is Bill 43, the Housing Supply Act, unless there's anything else you'd like to remark upon in Bill 44. No, I think we've I think we've invoked closure at Bill Forty. We moved on to Bill Forty Three, <laughs> which which again is good. To debate it, <laughs> which is unacceptable except where it is, of course. That's right. <sighs> so moving backwards to Bill Forty Three, uh, that's the uh, called the Twenty Twenty Two Housing Supply Act, uh, and this appears to be first of all sort of a more nuanced version of proposals that were floated uh, by the Premier earlier, which seemed to suggest he might just revoke in some uh, automatic way, for example, municipal authority to uh, restrict uh, development in some fashion. But what's contemplated here uh, is that this new minister of how the housing minister, right? Yes. Uh, will be able to establish targets for particular municipalities. Like, look, we want to see 500 new, uh, I don't know, uh, low income apartments in Oak Bay. <laughs> I'm waiting for that one. <laughs> um, yep. And then, so, once the minister could establish the lots of low-income housing in Oak Bay target, uh, then uh, the uh, there would be able to be a requirement for reporting on how are you doing with the low-income units in Oak Bay. Um, and then if that doesn't seem to be getting uh, where uh, the minister wishes, um, there is a concept here of appointing a, an advisor. Uh, the advisor, that's an interesting role, uh, the advisor that the minister can uh, appoint uh, has various powers, including search powers. Uh, and the uh, advisors to the minister under this Housing Supply Act would be able to, without a warrant or any other prior authorization, uh, attend at any reasonable time to an office or premises of a municipality uh, and start inspecting records and systems to find out what's going on here. You know, what, are, what have you done? Yeah. Uh, and then it imposes, this is Section 9, duties on employees of um, municipalities to allow the advisor entry, to provide assistance in conducting the review or search, uh, to provide access to records and systems that the municipality has. So if you had some municipality that was really dragging its uh, heels on uh, housing or zoning or whatever it might be, one of these advisors can show up, start going through their systems, figure out what's going on, uh, and then... The next step would be that the minister could make a directive to a municipality telling them to enact or amend bylaws or issue a permit. Uh, and the test for that, I like the test, it's if the order for that, uh, the benefit of issuing the directive is greater than the benefit of not issuing it. I'm not sure. Did you have to list that uh, in the in the legislation? You would hope that there weren't a lot of uh, orders being made when the uh, the detriment exceeded the benefit of the order. But it's clear here. Uh, and the uh, directive can be issued if it's in the public interest. So that would be the next step. Uh, the minister ordering the municipality to do something. And then if the municipality doesn't comply, 
the next step is or, by order in council, uh, they'll be able to simply directly amend the bylaws or issue a permit. Uh, so if Oak Bay doesn't want the new group home and uh, low-income apartments uh, and they've uh, gone through those various steps of inspecting things and directing them to do it and they don't do it, the next step could be just directly ordering council amend the bylaw and issue the permit and in goes the low-income housing on Oak Bay Avenue. So that's the, uh, uh, that's the essence of the Housing Supply Act. Uh, it's going to provide uh, pretty significant authority to the new Minister of Housing to monitor what uh, municipalities are doing, uh, send them directives, inspect things, make orders, and ultimately just issue permits and amend bylaws directly if the municipality doesn't do what they're told. So that's the Housing Supply Act. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, I just, and you know, I know that we somewhat sung in uh, tongue-in-cheek talking about the provision of low-income housing in Oak Bay, but the specifications or the criteria that will be established as to choose what should be in a place, that by itself is just a whole can of worms. Like, is it subject to judicial review? Can a municipality challenge the province's assessment? How does that work? Are there provisions for that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So uh, any of these kind of administrative decisions would be subject to a judicial review. Um, and if there was a, a judicial review, I mean, I, I tongue-in-cheek made reference there to the fact that the the legislation sets out that the minister uh, may issue directives if the benefit of issuing the directive is greater than the benefit of not issuing it. <laughs> that would be the criteria. Uh, and so, uh, yes, there could be a, a judicial review to try to review whether the minister did that. Uh, but th- those kind of political judgment calls are are going to be challenging to judicially uh, review as long as somebody's making decisions with that kind of uh, uh, broad criteria uh, in mind, right? You know, reasonable people can disagree about what's in the uh, public interest or whether the benefits outweigh the detriments of making some particular order. Uh, And a judicial review isn't, uh, hey, judge, would you like the low-income housing on Oak Bay Avenue? Uh, It is uh, was that decision sort of within the sort of the realm of reasonable decisions that somebody could make under this legislative scheme? And it's going to be pretty challenging, it seems to me, to suggest that, you know, some decision like that is not within the realm of the reasonable, right? Yeah. And so I don't think it's going to turn it into judges deciding where the low-income housing is going. I think what it's going to amount to here is uh, providing authority for the that housing minister to uh, you know, see what's going on, get the statistical information, um, make, uh, you know, have these people go and find out what's going on, uh, search records, make or, you know, set targets. And if the targets aren't achieved, then it'll be forced. So the idea, I think, would be to sort of give them a try, right? Hey, yeah. we want to see 500 new housing units in Oak Bay, for example. Can you figure that out, city council, right? If they do, swell. If they don't do it, Right. Then it'll be on to, OK, now they're going to start being directives. And if those don't work, ultimately, ultimately, the idea here is they can just do it by order in council uh, and whatever property it is will just be rezoned and the permit will go out. Um, so I think this likely will have some impact in the greater Victoria area. Right. We've got this unique circumstance with all these little municipalities all over the place. And it's one of those things where, you know, everyone can agree there should be more housing but no one wants the new housing near them, right? (laughs) So, you know, the idea here, you're just going to have a different analysis if you're the Minister of Housing doing an assessment of whether it's in the public interest to rezone uh, property to permit an apartment building to go up 
then the assessment you might have if you were a city councillor from a small municipality where all of the neighbours are in at the public meeting, stomping their feet, saying they don't want anything and there's going to be too much traffic and what about the shadow and, you know, I don't what about that tree and, and so on, right? And you're worried about getting elected next time. You're just going to have a very different assessment if you're the Minister of Housing making a decision about whether it's in the public interest to permit the apartment building to be built and you're not going to feel uh, sort of beholden to the you know, very localized interests of whether, uh, you know, the uh, tree should come down or whether the neighbors surrounding the new apartment building are going to be happy about that. Clearly, they're not. Um, and so that's really the dynamic we've got going on because of how the city's organized the, or the region is organized. And so this, I think, is going to be an answer to that. It's really interesting because, and of course, you know the the legalities far better than I do, but politically speaking, in terms of tactics, if I'm a municipal council and a mayor, and I know that we need housing, but I know that my electorate will punish me if I advocate for it, I could just adopt the role of opposing it at all costs, hoping that the big bad government will come in and try to force it on me, and then I get to be a hero, and I get to have the electorate love me, and I get the housing that I need by allowing the government to be the bad guy. I'm wondering how many scenarios we might see like that coalesce once this is in place yeah that's i think a good insight right exactly how that might play out right you're the mayor of some municipality you don't want you know the neighbors being unhappy with you that seems like not a bad uh not a bad solution to it right make the government make the provincial government order it um so perhaps we'll see that and i guess if this doesn't work the the other uh earlier there were proposals that seemed even broader right like the idea of you could just take away municipalities uh authority to, for example, zone single-family areas. To say it's all gone, anyone can build a fourplex anywhere they want, and the municipality can't do anything to stop it. So this seems to be more targeted than that, right? Because it's got this idea of, you know, the the directives and targets would be for particular municipalities, and then it would have the system of provide information, inspect records, set goals, don't meet the goal, (laughs) Right. And so on. So it does seem more targeted, which probably makes more sense, right? Because you can imagine sort of the unintended consequences if you just said, um, you know, all single family zoning is gone and you can build a, uh, you know, whatever townhouses anywhere you want. Um, you know, no doubt there are going to be some places where you say, gee, that really wasn't what we meant, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so this will allow a bit more nuance in that decision making. But uh, I think your uh, I think your insight is exactly right in terms of how this may play out. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Michael, I really appreciate you giving our our audience the opportunity to hear your insight and analysis of these issues that have both legal and political aspects of them every week. So thank you as always, and I look forward to next week already. Always a pleasure. There's never any shortage of legal things going on. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Thanks so much. Bye now.